Oh, hi there. Hello. Hey now. Hola. And ba weep grana weep mini bong. However you want to say it. Welcome to that Kev One Show. Well, friends, when you see my guest on a program or film, you automatically feel the assurance of quality within it. You swear he's immortal, not just because of the sheer volume of his varied work through the ages, but also for his soothing, knowing voice. He's an award-winning actor, producer, and writer who's done it all, from Oscar-attracting big pictures to indie darlings, Marvel fair, and comedies, dramedies, and everything in between. You're going to say you love him, or that, or, oh, wow, that's him? I do love him. Please welcome my guest, the great Fred Malamed. Thank you. What a, what a pleasantly florid introduction. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Oh, it's very deserved. It's very deserved from your storied career, from everything you've done, everything that we know of you, and more. And we're going to learn so much more, hopefully. But, whoa, my lord. Oh, man. How's your day uh, finding you today? So again, I love that expression. Yeah, like I'm literally just getting over the sniffles myself. And knock on wood, is there any wood around? I've never had COVID. Uh, you know, like I joke with my friends, especially if we're going out for the night or when we're going to Vegas. I, I tested negative for COVID, but positive for Brovid. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I've had COVID uh, twice. Really? Factor. Wow, that's incredible. Well, I guess maybe I'm either either I've had I've had so many uh, I've had it enough times and been inoculated enough times oh. that either my my sister can deal with it or it just bypasses me as a body to cold <laughs> and creepy to want to have it. <laughs> it just swerves out of the way now. Wow, okay. that's incredible. Yeah, I um, yeah, I just still can't believe I have. A, I mean, thankfully I've had COVID, but man, is it as bad as they say? Did you have the the uh, trademark symptoms of the no taste, no smell? It's funny. I've had it enough times that the, I, the first time I had it, uh, the, tw the twice that I've had it, neither one has been uh, you know horrible at all. It's been like having a bad cold. Really. Hmm. The mm -hmm. first time that I had it, uh, I was my, I have two twin sons that are twenty one, and uh, they it so happened that it was around Christmas time a couple of years ago, and they both came down with it with me 
And we all felt, you know, we, I just assumed it was a cold because I really didn't feel that lousy. But my son said to me, you know, have you noticed, Dad, that you're not tasting things very well? I said, yeah, you're right, you're right. And, you know, and that alarmed me, mostly because I was supposed to start work on a TV show called Barry that I've been on for mm, a couple of years. Love it. Love. Yeah, I love it. I've seen it all. I, oh, you're so incredible on that. Oh, thank you. So anyway, as it turned out, we did all have COVID, and they had to push my stuff back. It was meant to be shot uh, at the beginning of the season, uh, meant to be shot, and they had to, fortunately for me, um, they were able to reschedule it. So I had COVID that time. And the second time I had it, which was about, I guess, about a year and a half ago, oh. uh, just seemed again like a, like kind of like a bad cold. And this time, this, this iteration of it, for some reason, I didn't have that same thing where I couldn't taste things. Mm-hmm. So I think that diff- the different versions of it are slightly different in how they affect you. But, but I, I, you know, luckily for me, I haven't been very profoundly affected by it. But I was very frightened by it because um, I had three friends die from it. Oh really my God! I'm so sorry for your life. Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm 67, so I'm the, I'm the right age, and also, yeah. um, you know, very early, they didn't know much about it. They didn't know how to treat it, and people didn't know that they had it. So, yeah. and one friend of mine, a girl that I went to high school with, dear friend of mine, bought oh. um, it early on, and she spent like three weeks in one of those uh, respirator machines. Oh. Which ultimately, was fine. Ultimately, it was fine, but it was you know very scary. As you yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. Jeez. Well, listen, um, you know she's doing fine. Yeah. Well, this was a this was kind of a kind of a national, uh, you know, but not, nobody nobody alive I think has ever lived through it. When my dad was a very young boy, mm-hmm. in the teens, in the 19 teens, mm-hmm. there was a horrible Spanish flu epidemic, which some people may know about, but nobody in mm-hmm. my lifetime remembers anything like uh, you know a widespread. Yeah. Uh, it's just so wild, isn't it? Doesn't it feel like, and I hope I don't sound crazy here, doesn't it feel like we're living in some sort of constant, like, season finale or something like that? Like, I, mean, I remember when 9-11 happened, I, I was alive for that, and I was like, well, I mean, I was still pretty young, but I was like, whoa, this is crazy, it was like my Vietnam, you know? And now it's just like, that feels like that was, like, not a small event, mind you, at all, but, like, you know, just like a, it's just, not dwarfed, but, like, and now we've got COVID and just so much to the point where... Mm-hmm. Some of us are lucky to it. I remember when when nine eleven happened. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was working. I was working for CBS. I was the boy. I did a lot of voice work in those days, and I was the voice of CBS News and CBS Sports. Oh. And I I lived out in Montauk, which is a little town, a little, little tiny town on the very easternmost tip of Long Island, hmm. just a long way from the city. It's two and a half hours from driving from New York City. And when it happened. I was supposed to go into the city that day to work uh, for CBS, but I happened to turn on the television while I was after, after I took a shower, and I saw this, you know, this unbelievable sight. And uh, and they closed all the um, entrances, all the bridges and tunnels into New York City, so I knew not to go. Mm. But I remember taking a walk that day, and I, there's a, there was a path by the beach, and I remember thinking how lucky I am. To have lived in a time when war and attack from hostile entities and uh, you know natural disasters are a rarity. You know, most of the people that are my age lived through maybe Vietnam um, and 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 some other things, but we've never lived through a really you 
know, severe war that threatens us on our shores or have to worry about uh, being moved out of our homes or other kinds of things that people throughout history have dealt with routinely. So I realized from that, you know, as I was walking along the beach, there was no airplanes because they stopped all air traffic when uh, 9-11 happened. It was, mm-hmm. you know, eerily silent. I remember having this thought that, you know, I'm lucky to have lived in a time when this is such a rarity, such a strange uh, feeling for most people. Yeah, just so wild, and I, I kind of felt like the world's never going to be the same, you know, after that. Well, you know, I, I, maybe it won't be. You know, the, the, the world does change. One of the one of the things that you learn um, as you get older is that the world does change, and many things that you might take for granted or take uh, might have assumed are perennial or, or, or eternal um, aren't. Uh, you know, I <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I bought. One of the first record albums that I ever bought on my own with my own money hmm. was this, this album by Justin Airplane called Surrealistic Pillow. I bought it, and it said on the back of it from the record company, I don't remember what the record company was, but it had on the bottom of it these words. It said something like, this high, five, this high fidelity stereo recording represents the ultimate in sound technology. <laughs> it will never, ever become Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Totally, yeah. <laughs> How many first times did I have in a car? Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. almost all of them. I mean, a lot of them at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Well, he said kind of like, I have friends, as in, like, he has so many friends with cars, he just doesn't need one, and, or what, like, it's just so yeah, sociable to get in his best friend's car. Oh, yeah. That's wild. Yeah. It's like if you went to Hawaii or some destination vacation that you think of most of your life, I'd love to go here to England or wherever, like, most people would be on their phones. It's just so funny when you, when you get there. You're the nicest restaurant, the most beautiful architecture in your life, and they're, they're on their phones. <laughs> well, it's kind of like it doesn't. It's kind of like it never happened. If it's do, if, you, if you haven't put it on Instagram or you haven't documented it with photographs, it kind of like it didn't officially occur. Kind of thing. I think it's yeah. I mean, I don't mean to talk. I, I love having I love having phones. They're great. They, they you can do fabulous things with them. But yeah. like all you know, changes. There's there's parts that are you know that are not uh, enviable, and there are parts that are great, of course. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, it, things do change, you know, as, as time goes on. Uh, this strike, uh, the SAG after strike that we just that I alluded to when I first when we first got mm-hmm. on, one of the main sticking points that they haven't, one of the things they they agreed about many things. One of the things that they haven't been able to agree about is the use of AI, artificial intelligence, because everybody knows, including the actors, that that's where the whole of the business of the movie and television business is going. Yeah, how could it not? It's what crazy. I mean by that is, if you, if you look at, like, for example, my son is a, likes to play uh, video games like many kids do, and I often play with him. Well, I'm not as good as he is, but it's interesting to see. So one of the games that we played in the last couple of years that we both really enjoyed is Red Dead Redemption 2, which probably many people are familiar with. That's the, the Western one, right, I want to say? Right. Yeah. And if, if you look at it, first of all, it's it's so many hours of, it's, it's you know, like, 28 hours of play. Unbelievably beautiful to look at. And it's so realistic that you, 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 it's like watching a movie. It's like, yeah. it's like being inside a movie. Yeah. And the technology exists to, to, to make whole movies that way now. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows, and as, as computation uh, becomes faster and cheaper, um, it's not going to be worth it to go make a movie on location in Africa or Australia. Yeah. Huh. So, so once models are made of actors and of realities of different kinds, oh, it's going to be far less expensive and far easier and far freer in terms of what you can do yeah. visually and otherwise to do things electronically, to do things through, through computers. So because of that, actors are understandably worried Mm-hmm. What what the producers were proposing in that in that uh, milieu in that situation was mm-hmm. that you get a one time payment yeah, that oh God, they yeah. take a digital what is essentially a digital mm-hmm. so uh, enraged me yeah yeah right and they, they can do whatever the hell they want with it and they even yeah. talked about it for extras which were background artists you know which was so insane because I don't know if you have a lot of friends in background I have some friends in background or you know when when they're doing that. And like, man, that's like, it's like minimum wage. It might be minimum wage. It's pretty close, if not. And like to be paid for one day's work, but you're in a crowd constantly and for Transformers 47 in the future or something. It's just, that's right. insane to me. You know? Well, think about it. Think about, you know, if you, if you have a big scene with a restaurant or yeah. a football game or something like that, you, you have to hire, you know, those guys, extras make in the neighborhood of about $140 a day. Yeah. Around there. Right. Yeah. Uh, Producer. So, and of course, 
course, they're always looking to, <laughs> to save money, as well you might understand. So uh, it, it's, that doesn't surprise me. And in the case of extras, um, they could, if, if, for example, they have a large crowd scene, they could duplicate people several times and nobody would notice. Oh my god, like a bad, like a bad, I'm imagining like a bad video game, like you'd play those old wrestling games and it's the same five people in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, oh. Yeah, from times 200. Yeah, it'd be a fun game to play, but horrible, horrible reality. You'd be like, oh, yeah, there's the same balloon guy. Oh, there's the same, it's the same odd-looking old lady. She's there. She's not as, <laughs> not as frequent as the other uh, zeros and one people, but right wow. Now she has a mustache. Yeah. Um, oh. You know, I, I think people will always need stories. People mm -hmm. will always need to be engaged in yeah. novellas or stories. I think people will, will want to have television shows and movies uh, or something similar forever hmm. but i think hmm. the way that they're made is going to be uh it's going to change over time it's going to they're going to be streamlined um the production of them to, to as much as possible made as cheaply as possible um and uh giving as much sort of digital freedom as is possible hmm. though even though the need exists still exists in people um i think the way that the need will be addressed will, will change over time I really wonder where we're headed technology-wise with it, really, because, I mean, it's just like everyone, like you said, you need a story. Even these people with, like, no attention span who are just watching a TikTok and they're watching the little mini tale within the TikTok, you know. Um, it's kind of like a funny remember, Do you remember Quibi, how that was almost a thing, but then it went under, I think, because of, of COVID, really, because people needed more streaming hours. But that almost yeah. seems like the model that should be, that we're probably headed to. <laughs> but, well, I mean, I, I, I do think you're right that people have become much more uh, impatient, mm -hmm. uh, much much less interesting to, you know, it, uh, there's an interesting phenomenon. So I like to listen to recorded books uh, okay. with certain, certain authors in particular. And when I was a kid, my mother and father were old enough that they remembered pre-television days when radio was the big thing. Yeah. People were so, I don't mean music on radio, but, but yeah, um, my father was into that. I used to listen to um. He put him on. I guess it must have been VHS. It might have been a tape deck. He had his old car, but uh, like the Shadow and old serials, right? Yeah. Yeah. So my point, the reason I'm bringing it up is, the people who are devoted to these things love them deeply, and part of what happens is when you have when you are a participant. In other words, you're hearing the words, but there's no visual. So you have to come up in your mind mm. with a visualization. That act gives you a proprietary relationship with that story, and it becomes partly yours. Mm. When it becomes partly yours, you get deeply attached to it. Oh, uh, yeah. So it's less passive. Now, don't get me wrong. I love movies. I love the whole thing. Yeah, no, totally, yeah. But this but, is a great subgenre, so to speak, right? It's it's almost like the cousin of reading in a way because you're imagining it then yes. full on, slightly less full on, but yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. So and as time goes on, I mean, I, I mean I'm speaking in broad generalities, but <laughs> but you know, people become seem to become less interested in doing the work, that kind of work. It seems like work, so they would rather have things you know presented to them. And you know, I, don't get me wrong, I, 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 there's a nobility. In providing entertainment for people that I completely believe in, that's one of the things that I really like about being an actor, is that um, I don't I don't poo poo <laughs> the opportunity to you know have somebody come home from a difficult day's work or other kinds of conflicts in life that are difficult or troublesome, and they turn on the television, they get to watch something that is truly 
you know, entertaining and truly, mm-hmm. and, you know, gives them a deep kind of satisfaction or happiness or interest. So I think that's, I, I do think that's great. But it's also true that the nature of what constitutes entertainment has changed. I mean, when I was a kid, for example, um, there have always been movies that are aimed at sort of artistic, um, you know, uh, heights and movies mm-hmm. that are more geared towards popularity. That's mm-hmm. always existed. Mm-hmm. But when I was a kid, there were many movies that inhabited a space that covered both poles. That, that, mm-hmm. I mean, I can think of Lawrence of Arabia, mm-hmm. for example, when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, Godfather, when I was a uh, la- la- later age, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when I was very young adult. Um, other movies like that, which were both artistically complex, satisfying, but also had enormous commercial um, power. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, that middle kind of stuff that covers both needs, that covers both poles, has pretty much mostly gone to television. Movies, that is feature films, are either, you know, very high budget, heavy tech, mm-hmm. uh, comic book derived things, yeah. Marvel, Marvel kind of stuff, or they're little indies that cost, you know, $1 million or $2 million or $500,000, and they're made uh, by, by usually by an individual that has a particular idea and um, is able to make it inexpensively, and somebody is willing to either buy it or take a chance of producing it. But the middle ground stuff that's relatively inexpensive but still not cheap, but that has artistic uh, merit as well as kind of uh, potentially be really popular, is pretty much gone away from feature films. Pretty much. Hmm. There are some people still making it. I mean, I would argue that there are some people still in that sweet spot, like, you know, like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, Martin mm-hmm. Scorsese. Probably goes mostly to like you said the the like these amusement rides like the Marvels and the Fast and the Furious type stuff, or I mean yeah. maybe best case for the the niche films that's be very niche art house films where you can only see it at the theater briefly almost because a lot of these in between ones probably kind of bomb out more you know because people might be kind of like why not wait for streaming or yeah and, yeah, and you know maybe. why why should what, if hmm. the studio knows that they release something name on it that is, you know, that is familiar. If they, if they release Adventures 7 or 8 or 9, whatever it is, <laughs> um, even if it doesn't get well-reviewed, just the fact that it has that, that recognizable name guarantees them um, a significant enough audience that they're not taking a huge risk with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and international sales and all that kind of stuff. Now, I, you know, I've been in Marvel uh, mm-hmm. stuff and I like yeah. I enjoy Marvel. I like it. I'm not talking it down. Yeah, yeah. It's, good to have, it's good to have a to have a choice, you know, um, and, 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 and it becomes harder and harder to, to uh, produce these kind of um, middle, um, this middle sort of class of, of, of feature animal. Hmm. Hmm. That is wild. Huh. It really makes you wonder where we're all headed with it. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah. Where we're headed, who knows? You know, yeah. I, I, I'm sure that um, uh, you know, movie theaters are getting more and more and more squeezed. They, 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 uh, nowadays, um, you know, movies used to be a kind of cheap form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. You could go. When I was a kid, I grew up in New York City, and people would go to the movies just because movies were air conditioned. Oh, yeah. So people would go to a movie just to, you know, and they'd see, and you know, people would go to the movies serially. They'd go to a movie or two every week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it used to be like if you had a family, like I have two kids and all that, you could take your family out to a movie, and it was a relatively inexpensive um, yeah. Entertainment nowadays, if I if I'm I in LA. go out with two yeah. kids and a wife and want to go to a movie in the suburb, you know, in suburban LA, like where I live, uh-huh. well, you're talking about between the between the four of us and the parking and popcorn, talking oh. about 200 bucks. Oh my gosh! It's not. Yeah. And it's pretty. It's pretty shocking, you know. And, and so it's it's different now. So you know, why do people want to have big screen TVs and watch everything? Well, that's why, pretty much, is because. You don't have to leave the house, and it doesn't, you know, you're already paying, or whatever, paying for your streaming services, or whatever you use, and you're not going to, you're not going to incur an extra $150 to go out to see the movies and then have a hamburger. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. Oh, one of our patrons just uh, popped up with a question. Uh, let's see, Fred, big fan, they say. Do you prefer playing fully fictional characters or ones based off real people like Howard Hughes? It's a very distinctive example. Um, they're both interesting. I think, in a way, <laughs> I prefer fictional characters because when you play real characters, you feel a certain responsibility to... You don't have to necessarily have everything uh, be accurate in your mm-hmm. presentation, but you feel a certain responsibility not misrepresent the person that they were. I had a funny experience the other day. Um, I was in Costco just shopping. and mm-hmm. uh, Love Costco. <laughs> Been a Gold Star yeah, member for a while. <laughs> a lady stopped me uh, and she much? said, uh, you played Bill Ginsburg in American Crime Story. I was in this American Crime Story show oh, okay. years ago. Ryan Murphy, um, right? Yeah. Right. Ryan yeah. Murphy directed it. Uh, and it was about, uh, the particular one that I was in uh, was about Monica Lewinsky and Clinton. Um, very interesting experience. And I played this guy called Bill Ginsburg, who was Monica Lewinsky's attorney. And he was a family friend of her of her father's. And when she got to the legal trouble that she got into, he swooped in, uh, said he would uh, defend her. He was actually a, a medical malpractice attorney and had very little experience. Uh, doing the kind of legal work that she required. And he actually wound up really screwing up her case badly. Um, But he thought it was going to be a kind of a a showcase for him. Uh, And he tried to do kind of ethnic Bailey showmanship stuff, and it really uh, really hurt her. Hmm. Anyway, uh, this was a very juicy part that I got to play. I really enjoyed playing it, this Ryan Murphy series. And I was at Costco the other day, and this lady walked up to me and she said, you played Bill Ginsburg on American Cancer. I said, yes, and I was surprised that she recognized me, because I'm often recognized, but I was wearing a wig in that, in that movie. I was wearing a wig, wearing a hair because he was yeah. a real guy. Yeah. And she said, I'm Bill Ginsburg's widow. I'm his wife. Oh, my God. <laughs> she, said, I want, she said, I want to tell you 
that you really captured him. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, made me, that made me feel very good because yeah. I kind of made it out to be kind of a jerk in a way, but kind of a likable some things that you admire about him. But it pleased me that she didn't feel that I had, you know, disgraced his memory. Yeah. He, interestingly, oh, it's interesting that he didn't live too long after mm. um, the whole Monica Lewinsky thing. He got cancer and died at you know, uh. a relatively young age. Anyway, um, it was interesting to have her and, you know, very yeah. pleasing for her to, to have her tell me that I had captured something. When I had never met him, I saw him, I saw, I looked when I was preparing mm. uh, at some video of him, and he gave a lot of press conferences, so it wasn't hard to find him. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to sort of capture his, his, his kind of swagger, his kind of, uh, mm. you know, the kind of, the kind of flaming lawyer kind of, you know, show offiness, but not, but mm. not make it look like she couldn't trust him. Anyway, huh. so that was an interesting experience about playing wow. something real. But I do like playing with people that are fictional because you have the... Room to breathe, right? Kind of have room to create a bit, right? Yeah, you have a freer hand. You don't have to feel the responsibility to play anybody in a particular way. It's funny, you know, I know recently you um, interviewed uh, a friend of mine, Mm -hmm. a filmmaker, an actress that I worked with uh, fairly recently called Wendy McCall. Mm, Yeah. And recently made a movie called Fuzzy Head that I was in. So she approached me I I had I I've known her for a few years um and we were supposed to do another movie of hers some years ago together and all of a sudden something else came up and I couldn't I I had a conflict uh, with a movie that I needed to do because I needed to make some money and her movies don't get paid very much so Hmm. I had to do this other movie so we didn't get to do this first movie so Hmm. when the second movie came up which has now just been released called Fuzzy Head or being released um I I wanted to work with her so she sent me the part I don't want to. I don't want to ruin that movie for people that hasn't haven't seen it. Hmm. But she is about a woman who um, has a difficult relationship with her mother, mm-hmm. and her mother dies, and the woman can't remember. She has the PTSD, and she can't. She has a suspicion that she may have killed her mother. Oh my god! But she's not yeah. sure if she did it or not. And as a result, she go, kind of goes on the lamp. She runs and tries to hide. Uh, and in part of her hiding, she winds up in a, working in a brothel uh, somewhere. And there's some scenes of her and other people working in this brothel. And one point, she's reduced to that. She can't. She doesn't have any money and so on. So I play this guy called the quadruped. He's called the quadruped because he walks with two canes. He walks with difficulty. Huh. And when he comes in, it's clear that he's a regular at this brothel and that he has some habits that are a little, let's say, um, a little exotic <laughs> uh, in, in what he does with the women in the hmm. brothel. Mm-hmm. So she's frightened. Now, I read the scene as she wrote it, and I, I said to her, and you know, she had just written this, and I said to her, listen, I have an idea about how to do this a little differently. I have this kind of idea. And she said, well, yeah, I'm interested. In what is your idea? And the idea was to change the character somewhat. I had this idea that I wanted to play a character who the, the women, the prostitutes are, are intimidated by, are afraid of. But it turns out that when he gets them in the room, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't 
attack them sexually. He wants to know their stories, and he invades them. You might even say he rapes them by demanding to hear their stories. But in fact, he winds up ultimately being kind of sympathetic to them and good to them, although he's rather direct and sort of intimidating in the way that he, that he behaves. So I wanted to try this instead of the, what you kind of expect. And Wendy was all for it. She, she liked the idea, and we did it. So when you work on something that's never been done, and especially if the person that you're working with is directing the film and wrote the film like Wendy, um, you know, is, is game to try different things as kind of experimental, um, you know, bravery, um, sometimes it can be really uh, wonderful. And, 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 and I recently saw the film. I hadn't seen it, so it was all cut. And I was very, um, I was very uh, pleased with how, how it came out and the kind of leap that I would that I was trying to make I felt you know I, when I see myself in things I don't always think Chief Fred you're terrific yeah. I, often, I often think oh shit why did I do that why oh really that? Oh. yeah so uh, but in this this particular idea did, did I, I was pleased that I that it that a that she allowed me to do it and I thought it came out pretty good pretty well given what I was trying to do with it. So sometimes, you know, it's it can be uh, great fun to work on things that are kind of just being formed, and, and you know, the movie came out very interestingly, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's getting rave reviews. It won Best Picture at Slam Dance, for example. I know. Yeah, Best Screen. Yeah. Is that where you saw it at, or did you see it at a different screening? Or no, we had a screening here in LA. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I'm trying to see if I can see it on the big screen out here in Portland, or if I'm just going to have to stream it. I know it's streaming uh, in many sources. She just said uh, to my fans just to Google it with her name and find the best streaming yeah, place. I know, I, know <laughs> you can, I know you can stream it now. I don't, it may come to theaters. I'm not sure. Uh, it was, it was, it's being released by a major releasing company. Yeah. Um, but I don't know whether or not they're doing, uh, I don't know what their, what their plans are for it. I know, it's, I know you, can, hmm. you, know, you can order it on your TV, but I'm not sure whether or not you can see it in the theater. Yeah. Um, it is. It is. It's. It is. It has a lot of sort of. I don't know how to explain it. Kind of psychedelic. Yeah, the trailer uh, is very body. trippy, and yeah, it looks. Body, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that kind of movie, if, if you can, if you can see it on a movie theater screen, it's probably. I would say it's probably worth it because it's. It has very kind of mind-bending um, mm. quality to it, which you might get more of it. Yeah, and I kind of want to see it with my love, and like, um, but it's like funny when you watch a movie uh, nowadays. It's like kind of drives me crazy. That's piggybacking back to technology a smidge. It's like if you notice when you watch movies with people like at home, people just like migrate to their phones or they're just constantly distracted. So it's like I really want to watch it on the big screen if I'm watching with anyone else, especially. People do that in theaters. I see people at movies. No. Oh. I mean, I believe, you know, like, I believe it now more than ever, but jeez. Yeah, I, it seems weird to me, especially if you pay 20 bucks to go. <laughs> yeah, well, that too, yeah, hello. <laughs> but, but people can't, I guess people can't be separated from, or they're, they're bored by their own company. <sighs> yeah, that was a great conversation I had with um, your director, that uh, fuzzy head, Wendy McComb. Uh, yeah. Uh, she agreed last week that film is war, you know, just uh, to get it done, the, the show must go on mentality. You often uh, the lack of glamour with the whole go-go. Um, do you have any particular, like, you know, war stories that come to mind from uh, any shoots at all? Oh, lots of them. But yeah. one thing that I would say um, is that you have to remember that film, even 
And you uh, did a serious man. You got, I believe you won an award with them, right? Uh, best ensemble, at least, yeah. Sam Raimi, yeah, um, Drag Me to Hell is so one of my that's how, favorite that's how Joel Yeah. And part of, part of their whole orientation towards film is hmm. that of an editor. That is, they don't include anything that's. Everything in the film has to either move the story forward or add to your depth of understanding about the characters. Mm-hmm. They don't put in anything, you know, you have to kill your darlings, as they say. Mm. So, oh, and yeah. get rid of stuff. They, they make sure to trim yeah, all the fat. Uh, <laughs> Soap operas, it's, yeah, everything. Yeah, almost. It's, everything. Yeah, it's almost like a player one kind of view, right? If you, in a way. Right. Exactly. <laughs> First shooter kind of. So here's so here's my story about that. Yeah. Several years ago, I was sitting at a Chinese restaurant with my wife, <laughs> eating dinner, and uh, you know, some this guy started looking at me. Now, when you're an actor, this happens frequently. It's nothing that you know, and people kind of they think they know you. They're not sure where. They, yeah. People run up to me and go, "You did my kid's braces, right?" You know, they they know that I. <laughs> And you've been in so much, and your voice, you probably get recognized oddly all the time, huh? Probably. I, I, nowadays, I get recognized more for, for what I do. It's not people don't think that I'm, you know. Oh, yeah. They're not sus- less suspicious looks. <laughs> less like, oh. <laughs> right. So anyway, I'm sitting there in this Chinese mm-hmm. restaurant, we're having dinner, and this guy starts looking at me. Which, you know, it's no big deal. It happens frequently. But he's, like, really looking at me a lot. And at one point, he gets up, stands up, and walks behind me. Oh God, yeah. and, and I was getting a little uncomfortable, but I didn't want to yeah. turn my head around to look. And yeah. I said to my wife, is that guy still there? And she said, yes. She said, he's, he's standing looking at the back of you. Oh my God. And finally, he walked up to me and he said, are you Fred Millman, right? And I said, yes, oh, I am. Okay. He said, my name is whatever his name was. He says, I'm an editor. I've been looking at your, I'm editing a movie that you're in. Uh. I've been looking at your overs for hours and hours and hours. I just want to make sure it was you. He could, he could mold you. He knows you that well. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> um, the warlike aspect of it, let's say, 
fantasy. I mean, you're always racing against time and against... Here's another thing with the Coen brothers. Oh, yeah. Along the same lines. Love the Coen brothers so much, yeah. They have... One of their movies... You know, I have a sort of theory about the very best filmmakers, my favorite filmmakers. Okay. I would say this about the Coens. I would say it about Paul Thomas Anderson. I would say it about Martin Scorsese. I would say it... Um, I would, uh, not all their films are great. Okay. <laughs> they have films. They have films that are unbelievably great, in my mm. view. Yeah. There's a couple of films that, of theirs that I can't look at. And I really don't like them at all. Mm. But from but from my perspective, there's a certain leap involved in making movies. There's a certain bit of unknown magic that has to happen, and sometimes take a spill. Sometimes it doesn't work out the way you like. I mean, they may have liked it, but I, I didn't like it. Anyway, sure. um, so the Coen Brothers made a particular movie called The Man Who Wasn't There. This is a movie that I love, and it's one of their li- li- lesser-known movies. Uh, it stars Billy Bob Thornton. He's terrific in it, in my, in my opinion. But it's a really, really beautifully shot, beautifully made, haunting, great movie. And it happened to come out right around 9-11. And it was kind of obscured by the fact that it came out around 9-11, you know, as you can imagine. Yeah. Anyway, it's one of my, it's probably my favorite movie of theirs of all time. Hmm. But, it, but it didn't make much of a, much of a blip on the, on the radars of most people in the movie business because of when it, when it, anyway, I was telling Ethan Cohen, the other Cohen brother, who used to do most of the writing. It used to be that he would, Ethan would do most of the writing and Joe would do most of the directing, but then they kind of started sharing it. Anyway, I said to Ethan, you know, I love The Man Who Isn't There. It's such a great movie. It, it, it so hurts me that people don't acknowledge it because it's so terrific. I think I just love it. And he said to me, oh, you know, Billy Bob's wig never fit right and we couldn't get this location. And James Gandolfini <laughs> was also in it was could have big conflict because of Sopranos. And uh. He listed about 20 pain-in-the-ass things <laughs> how, how he yeah. thought of this. To me, it's like this unbelievable opus. Yeah. He was saying, oh, uh-huh. oh this, that was a big pain-in-the-ass thing, so it went right. Uh. And, and it, I learned from that that the, the exciting part to them, the most exciting part, is when there's in their little office that they have and they're pitching ideas back and forth and writing the dialogue and they actually act out the dialogue like actors and they get it in their heads what they want they have this thing in their head that's what they want and of course you never get what you want you get this kind of amalgam between what you had in mind and what you could do given the limitations of you know that, that's confronted you but by the time you're actually making the movie, it's all a series of obstacles to be to be solved. It's a series mm. of problems to be solved. So that for most direct, you know, and mo- here's another, you know, you, you're, people are running up to you all day long saying, do you want this one or this one? Do you want to do this shot here? Do you want to do it there? Do you want the black, you want the red shirt? We can't get this actor. You settle for this actor. Uh, we can't get the, the thing you wanted. How about this place instead? Will you settle for doing it in the studio instead of doing it on a location? What are you telling me about having three horses instead of 11? 11 horses to expense. You know, well, endlessly, this kind of stuff. That's what directing is. So, 
that's how they that's how the experience was for them i thought this was a fantastic movie and they were like ah this is not gonna be and, and <laughs> joel told me and joel who was the who was the editor of the two told me it's the same experience with almost every movie hmm. you're shooting it and as you're shooting it you're looking at dailies what are called dailies mm-hmm. in russian which means the shot the, the footage that you shot that day like everybody will come if whoever wants to will come and they'll screen what was shot the previous day, and you'll see it. He said, you look at dailies, and you think, wow, this is pretty good. This is coming out good. Then you look at what's called your first loose assembly. A loose assembly is your first very, very rough edit. Mm-hmm. He said, you look at your first assembly, and you think, this film is unsalvaged and salvageable. Oh, no. a total piece of shit. No. This film could never be released. <laughs> It's like all an impossibility, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. brothers have it like super insanely glamorous with all their success and brilliance but they probably spend more time often than not when they're working uh like a single parent barely putting both shoes on running out the door toasting their teeth you know, you know like stressed yeah, about this shot this thing that was impossible yeah, like, the the sundown that didn't happen on time and you know etc right. yeah it's, 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 it's oh yeah Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, I worked a lot with Woody Allen. Mm, yeah. And uh, Woody Allen, I did seven films with Woody Allen. And Woody mm-hmm. Allen um, is a person who doesn't really like hanging out with people. Talk, you know, he's, he's kind of solo. He once told me, <laughs> I did a play a play on Broadway that he wrote. Well, actually, mm-hmm. Ethan Cohen, it was 3-1-X. Um, Ethan Cohen and Woody Allen wrote two of those. Oh, movies. wow. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Anyway, I was sitting backstage with him. And he said to me, you know, honestly, um, making movies is an enormous pain. You know, if I could just write every day, get up, you know, walk around, take a, take a nice walk in the park, huh. write for four hours, huh. and then have my nice, he has the same dinner every night. He likes Philly. He has Philly, I'm so with green beans. And oh, wow. <laughs> the uh, same. My fish, yeah. And then watch a, watch a basketball game on television after that. I would be very happy. That's really all I want out of life. <laughs> but the fact is, I don't trust other people to make my movies. You know, when you when you oh, write a script, okay. you let somebody else make it, it winds up far afield from what you 
supervision. So he said, I just can't trust somebody else to do it. But he's, a, he's an odd person to be a director, not because he doesn't know how to do it. He does know how to do it very well, but he doesn't like being with people. <laughs> huh. You're yeah. with people all day long. All it's, day long. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This kind of reminds me of the quote for some reason um, from one of the things that I always remembered you from, like, like I said, the, people knew you without knowing you forever, but I always remembered you from, um, and before this too, I'm sure, but like um, on Curb Your Enthusiasm where you had that line to Larry David of, um, the teacher does not live in the school. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, that, show, uh -huh. that show, I, I loved doing that show. I didn't realize mm. when I was cast in that show. I didn't realize that that's all improvised. I just didn't know. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's an improvised show. Oh, yeah, I knew that, but you weren't aware of that. So, like, um, did, no, you, did you ask for a script and they were like, sorry, no, we give you the bullet points of where the scene needs to go and that's it? Or how does that work? Well, I just showed up on the set. Yeah, I think I'm like, I didn't get my script yet. <laughs> get this little teeny piece of paper, like a, like a Chinese fortune or anything. A little <laughs> you know, thing. And it's it says, location. well, I knew that I was playing, I, I knew that I was playing Larry's psychiatrist, that I do. It's so great at that. It I says, love it. Yeah. Say, thank you. It says, you meet Larry at this baseball card show, this kind of sports memorabilia <laughs> show, and he wants to talk, and then you wind up billing him, and he's surprised that you built him. That's all it says. It's like the whole outline, but it's just the outline. So <laughs> the, first, the first couple of times we did it, I was kind of like, well, it's uh, funny to see you here at the, uh, at the baseball card show. You're like, what? It was very funny. You're just establishing the scene kind of in a way. Like, That's what we're right. <laughs> and, then, and then I got this idea, which was, I, should, I, I had a, a therapist in real life who used to name drop shamelessly. Shamelessly. And I was, I was very <laughs> funny that he would name drop people. So I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna be this therapist of Larry Davis that, that, that is a showbiz therapist that name drops people. And then I was thinking, well, who can I name drop that's like really like not that impressive? <laughs> like, who can I think of that you know, people will know that Larry will know, but won't be like you know, yeah. won't be <laughs> so I had, I had a friend that used to like. Oh, 
So I thought, well, who can I do that's really, really, really famous? Who can I do that, you know, but I could, I could allude to him without revealing his name. So I thought, well, Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, 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 I said, you know, we, I, we were talking about, like, uh, he was angry at me for charging him for the baseball card show conversation. So I said, you know, uh, you can liken this to the relationship that a client of mine has with prostitutes. I don't want to tell you who he is, <laughs> but he did direct Star Wars. <laughs> uh, so Larry, of course, knew. <laughs> so I said, yeah, well, you know, he, he, he doesn't, even though he only hires them for a short time, he pays them for a full hour. So was it kind of daunting when you first learned it was improv, or was it just kind of your way to roll yeah, with it? I, mean, I know you're classically I, trained, I, but... Yeah, but I'm not improv trained. I have mm. a lot of friends, many yeah. friends, that were part of uh, Upright Citizen Brigade, mm. or Groundlings, or other... Uh-huh. Uh, those are the two main things where they train people to do improv. Yeah. I have zero improv <laughs> training. I mean, I, I, once in a while, I, you know, I can be fast on my feet sometimes, occasionally, but I have zero training and zero you know, experience other than stuff I've just come up with on the fly just for fun. Well, that was so definitely I, an incredible role that you see. You nailed it for sure. So. Well, thank you. For I sure. appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. That's one of those roles. I don't know if it's um, the save point, so to speak, using video games like Red Dead Redemption, but um, it was definitely one where I already knew you, but from that point on, I was like, when I saw you, like, this is definitely zoned in and look for more stuff of yours straight up, not just like, oh, he's in this, he's in everything, you <laughs> know? Well, mm. that's always, I mean, I, that, when I, I, there are many compliments that I, that are, you know, very pleasurable to receive. Um, one, there's two that are especially pleasurable. One is I like people who say, whatever you're in, you know, I, I like it. I want anything that you're in, I'll watch. That always makes me feel good. And the okay. other thing that I like is when somebody says, oh, I can't imagine anybody else playing that part. Like, mm-hmm. if, like for example, in A Serious Man, you know, that, that uh, character, yeah. that, uh, um, with that character, um, Ethan Cohen told me very flatteringly that he thought that was the best movie monster ever created. Wow. Oh. He's a monster that kind of Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, it, it, him, coming from him, that's like virtual fact, you know, as close as you can get to it, in a way. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that too. I mean, yeah. Him being who he is, even. if it is, Yeah. Wow. Outside of himself, if you just saw it even saying that, but wow, yeah. That's what you always hope for, is that people think of the character as you, and you as the character. Hmm. And it's funny, I'm often called upon to play, uh, you know, very kind of authoritative, um, you know, sometimes intimidating characters, uh, which is funny, because in real life, obviously I'm a goofball, but he knows that they knows that. But uh, I look a certain way, and I guess I'm capable of, Um, hmm. So 
that was a lot of a lot of fun and interesting to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know that that was an unusual and, and pleasurable experience. Huh. Do you know where that's available? The watch I'd love to see that because I don't think I've seen that one. Uh, yeah, it's such a different role for you. Yeah, I almost can't say just Max to people. It just seems so weird. It seems like it just seems like no one will know it's Max. I always say HBO Max. It's really, yeah. You know, I have a friend. I have. I don't want to go into this in too too much depth because I have a friend who is mm. a is a um, executive there, and oh. she uh, is responsible for all the promotion. But that's the, that's the um, effect of the new guy who took over. Mm. Uh, this new combined company of Discovery and Max. It, she was, you know, it, it seems very odd to me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert in promotion, but it seems very odd that they would have built up the HBO name. Yeah. For so long, you know, was, you know, everybody knows that in, in the cable, the cable world, HBO is, you know, has. Well, yeah, has there's this kind of a Genesequa kind of gravitas to it. You know what I mean? Like HBO right. is known as the premium place. You know. Right, and exactly. so it's so, so wild, it yeah. I think I, I didn't make any sense to me why um, <laughs> they were, uh, you know, messing around with that. Yeah, at least have um, HBO somewhere in there. I almost feel like maybe that's what I was doing subconsciously, showing respect to the company that's not showing respect for itself. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was a very, uh, a very strange choice. To, to, I mean, I'm sure there's there's some kind of thinking behind it, but I don't Something. understand what it was. But, yeah. Huh. Let me see outside. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, here it is. I'm looking at. Yeah, I, that, it, it's a really. It, it, I'm not sure where it's showing now. Uh, it doesn't say. But you could probably. I'm for sure you can get it on. Um, It's probably also playing someplace for free also on one of the streams. Hmm. Um, it, it's, a, it's a kind of crime movie, interesting crime movie, and the two leads, I'm the villain, and the two leads are Theo James and Emily Ratajkowski. Ooh, wow, yeah. Theo James. Yeah, yeah. He was so great in, uh, ironically enough, HBO's um, White Lotus recently. Yeah. I always remember from right. that when I saw that, and yeah. And right. Of course, we don't hear from so much, yeah. Check that out, Doc, for sure. Wow. And while you're the, truly the heart of Hollywood, like I said, like this, this, I would say linchpin, but like you're just in so much, you know, you're, you're they're like a, like the moon or something, like, for example. But say multiverse wise, Fred Melamed never hit Hollywood hard. What would he be doing? And with that voice, I almost feel like a doctor or a teacher, but uh, <laughs> what do you think? You, or, or do you know? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I, for much of my, for much of my career, I did only voice work. I didn't do any other kind of acting. But I, if I weren't doing that, I mean, I think I have a natural sort of a inclination towards therapy, towards understanding people. But I also okay. think I would become, I would become fat, which was a big problem. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. You know, I always wanted to be a writer. That was uh -huh. what I always wanted. Um, but I never. 
once I started being an actor, um, everything I wrote was in, in the service of being an actor more so mm. because of with, with movies and television. Um, it's a good question. I don't really have a great answer for it, but I, I, I might be a teacher. I like teaching. I enjoy teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's a real shame the way teachers are treated in the United States. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, are they all on strike nationwide? They're on strike here, I know, in Portland. No, no. Mm. No, that's only in Portland. But they, okay. you know, they, they, left, they were on strike last year here in L.A. And, um, huh. it's, it's, considering how much everybody acknowledges how important it is in yeah. raising succeeding generations, that they're, they're not treated particularly well in my, in my opinion. Hmm. But, you know, that, that's, there's a lot of people who fall under that same... Yeah. Uh, description. To fall back on technology, I almost wonder if it's even worse now than ever in a weird way. <laughs> I mean, to be a teacher. <laughs> I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. I think there's some truth to that. that. You know, teachers used to be backed up more by parents than they are now, I think. And also, uh, well, there's just a lot, you know, and, and, and they're up against economic realities that make it very difficult. And there's a lot. There's a lot to it. Yeah, I remember being like shocked when I'd been, but I heard that way early on. And obviously, on since before life began, but uh, teachers buying supplies for students and stuff. I remember that when I was a kid and stuff. It's yeah. Just, yeah. My girlfriend is a teacher and they Aww. still do that today. They're well, focused on it. Well, tell her thanks for everything she does. You know, yeah. Wow. I will. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to that message. Yeah. Oh. Jeez. Man. Well, congrats to all your numerous awards. I know you won, um, I won, you won the Robert Altman Award recently. Uh, best supporting actor for Deadly uh, Deadly Draw this year, right? Or was that last year? This right. year? Yeah, and Fuzzy Heads breaking up the wind, including Best Picture. So, oh. what's uh, next on the horizon right now? Do you have a bunch of stuff lined up? I know everything slowed with the strike, but you're probably... I do have some things lined up. Uh, I, I can only talk about some of them yeah. because um, mm-hmm. I can only talk about the ones where they've made an interim agreement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, of I'll course. I'll talk about the other one. Sure. Uh, that we that we mentioned. Um, it's another one that will be uh, coming out, I believe, this year called Peak Season, Ooh. which I enjoyed making very much. Uh, another one called Cat Person, just recently released. Oh yeah, I saw a poster for that. Yeah, yeah which is an interesting movie, I think. Um, I I would say, uh, and then another one that I worked on. See, uh, a movie called The Little Death. Oh yeah, movie. you play uh, you play Augustus in that, right? Right, and then another oh. one that I just finished recently called Don't Trip. Oh, don't trip. Uh, is that in uh, post production or is that out? Or it's it's not out yet. It's hmm. still it's still being edited, I believe. The pipe in the pipeline. Yeah. And then I have a television show. I guess I guess this is uh, okay. To, uh, the Sterling Affairs, Ooh. which is all about uh, the guy who owned and uh, and uh, managed uh, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, Donald Sterling, played by Ed O'Neill. It's all about oh. his uh, kind of fall from grace. Wow, yeah. uh, and I'm one of those, so uh, that, that I'm looking forward to also. Oh, yeah. That's called The Sterling Affairs. So those are some things that I have coming. Um, that people can, you know, and if they want to see some stuff that already exists that's out there, um, uh, uh, I did a film some years ago that I really enjoy called Bone Tomahawk, which oh, is yeah. a, a kind of a horror, uh, horror western mashup 
that's terrific. Um, I, a film called In a World, which is all about the voiceover world, mm. I would suggest highly. Is that a documentary uh, or, or no? No, mm. no, it's a, it's a narrative. It's a very it's oh. a really good film by uh, a woman called Lake Bell. It's terrific. And then I have a series that uh, 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 really interesting way out, really to me, really funny series on Netflix called Lady Dynamite. Oh yeah, with uh, Maria Bamford, right? She's great. Right, with Maria Bamford, yeah. which I love that show. I love. Oh good, oh, yeah. I always love when she gets success. I'm like, I see her in so much She's stuff in cameos, so many cameos. <laughs> Yeah, I saw her. I think I think she's she in Quiz Lady. Of that show, so it's, 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 I, I really uh, suggest that with great. Oh, okay, Lady Dynamite, everybody. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah. Man, I really wish that uh, Barry was coming back, but uh, no spoilers to anyone. But uh, you know, pretty final season for sure, right? I love I love being on Barry. I love being one that Henry Winkler's dear friend of mine. Oh my God, the Fonz. I had, Fonz, I had a Fonz, I had a Fonz pinball machine I got for Christmas one year. Really? I mean, that, 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 Happy Days was before my time, so to speak. You know what I mean? But it lives on forever. You know what I mean? But I just loved it, and so ever since then, as a little kid, I just yeah, I've always loved it. He like steals so many scenes, and like from like Scream to like just Arrested Development, where he played um the lawyer yeah. and everything. Everything. I mean, he's just even. I think he showed. Well, he showed up in a not a Marvel film. What was it? Um. But it's always a joy. Uh, Black Adam. He was in Black Adam, believe it or not. On... Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see that one. That's pretty good. Uh, not so, yeah. I don't know if I have to edit this up. I'll just say it really quick and then I'll double check with <laughs> the consistency. He, uh... he also has a book. He just wrote an autobiography, a memoir. Oh, yeah. Uh, Okay, so like, so, I mean, the fact that you're talking about him, I'm sure it's true, but like, is he as nice as he seems? He seems like he's just so nice, which you always hope yes, for. Yes, he is. Oh, he, great, he is. great. He's, he's extremely nice, extremely nice, great guy. Everybody, everybody, you know, knows it, and, and, and he's a wonderful guy, wonderfully sweet, warm guy. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's just so awesome. Oh. Wow. I'm wondering, I don't know, do you have any idea, uh, I shouldn't say this uh, while we're doing this now because it's not, it's not live, but it'll play in a week, but um, any word on the on the strike at all? Because I think it's supposed to be wrapping up, or the final, something's happened, it was supposed to happen at 5 p.m. today, right? I wonder if it got... I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I know they're, I know they're near, you know, that's as much as I know, so they're near, uh, near, near. that's all I yeah. know. Yeah, I just hope for obviously the best for us and all the artists and everything, obviously, because... Man, geez, it's just, it's just kind of scary. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, storytelling gets taken down, essentially, you know, the human yeah, aspect. Well, just, uh. Yeah, I mean, it's, as I say, it's always a rough marriage between money and art. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and art usually takes the brunt of it. Well... I know we just met Fred, but uh, I'm going to call it. I think I'm going to call it. You, you're my best Fred. BFF. Oh, thank you. <laughs> best Fred. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm happy to be with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's such an honor. I've been a big, huge fan. Is I think I think everyone, like I said, I really think everyone is a fan of yours, if they know it or not. <laughs> That's very nice to yeah. hear. I appreciate that. Oh, anytime, of course. And thanks again for doing the show, and probably taking enough of your time. But thanks so much for chatting with us. My pleasure. I look forward to talking to you again. Yeah,
I mean, we're all certain to watch your continued success in all your entities. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. My pleasure. Have a good night. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, friends, that was the incredible Fred Melamed. You know him, you love him, and I learned a lot. Even more than I thought I would. I assumed I would. Just like I said, how he sounds like a, a scientist or a doctor. Or he just sounds so wise, like the father you wish was your father. <laughs> uh, I hope you learned a lot, too. Good night. That Kevin Share was brought to you in part by T-Mobile, the uncarrier. Well, friends, the theater lights have come back on overhead. Please clean up the candy wrappers you snuck in and traverse safely. See you next week, or super fans online at patreon.com backslash that Kev one show. Good night. <laughs> This portion of that Kev One show is supported by Bohemian Dream Gifts, made with organic and natural oils that nourish and hydrate your skin. Man, I don't know if it's the weather outside or the gym that was killing my skin, because my right elbow on the, uh, it itched like the Dickens, like I was becoming like the lizard from Marvel Comics. Um, I think it's that machine where you put your elbow in and do the lifts, you know, for the bicep. But uh, I was itching my skin like crazy during, uh, well, I won't say who because I don't want them associated with rough skin with one of our guests <laughs> here in the near future here. <laughs> but my left, my right elbow was getting ashy and coming up, getting red and irritated. Anyway, I used some of the promotional cookie dough body oil from Bohemian Dream Gifts that they gave us. And my skin, I'm not kidding, came back. I can vouch for that one. The cookie dough oil baby body oil, the cookie dough body oil brought my skin back to life like an Evanescent song. I'm not kidding. My skin is smooth and happy again. 100%. You can buy cookie dough oil on Etsy at the Bohemian Dream Gifts shop. Check out their other stuff as well, but that's one that I that I swear by now. <laughs> and as soon as my promotional one runs out, I'm going to order some myself. So go to Etsy and visit the Bohemian Dream Gifts shop today.